Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. If you think about it, when in your flats, this is probably one of the things which people want to know about the Christian view of sex. Why do you think in this way? And you'll actually often speak to your Christian, non-Christian friends more often about sex than you will with your Christian friends, I think. Um, and the world is kind of really confused about that. You know, it flops between seeing sex as a natural bodily function to something which is meant to be special. I remember speaking to somebody who was saying, when he was in first year, he knew one of his flatmates who lost his virginity during the year and he was devastated by it. You know, the sense in which sex is everything, but then when you've done it, it was, he was devastated by that fact. And what we've been trying to see over the past two sessions is what God's plan is for sex so that we can actually speak well with our friends and so that we can live lives which are pure. And so we've seen what the purpose of marriage is and sex in marriage and how God has ordained it in order not to promote selfish desires, whether sexual or material, but so that we might delight in the security and faithfulness um, of the marriage relationship in serving God and his world. In last session we saw that uh, sexuality was designed by God so that he might be more deeply knowable. And so all those images that God uses, uh, the sexual images, to describe his marriage to Israel. And in Ephesians 5, how marriage is used as a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. And so we see there something of the purpose uh, for that. And we need to be seeing that all our desires should be pointing to Christ and being seen that they are being fulfilled in Christ. The longing for intimacy or for closeness or for vulnerability, for delight and pleasure, they are all found in Christ. And so in this final session, what I want to think about is how we can be pure as Christian students. Now we've been thinking about that in some of the seminars, or in the two seminars that we've done. Because this is one area where we can stand as an attractive witness for Christ. And so what I want to think about in this session is how do we deal with sexual temptation? How do we, the temptations that we feel will maybe be varied and many, you'll experience temptations in a way that others don't. You know, your temptations may be to do with porn or sexual gratification through the use of another or reading erotic novels or you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey type thing. Uh, desiring a same-sex relationship, all those kind of things, you may be your struggle, but you may struggle in different ways. And yet the way in which we deal with them is the same. And can I just say as well, those kind of sexual temptations don't disappear once you get married. So don't kind of think, if I get married, then everything will be fine, I won't struggle and I won't have sexual temptations. You, You still will. So how do we deal with sexual temptations? You know, as we've been keep on saying, the Bible is really clear that we should flee sexual immorality. We shouldn't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. They're obvious. That we should put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature, the sexual immorality, etc. So how do we do that? How do we keep ourselves pure? And take a minute just to discuss that with those around you. So picking up maybe on a discussion of what we had here with the guys. How do we keep ourselves pure sexually? Let's have a, a two-minute discussion and then we'll come back. God, sex in the place of God. 
Now, we've, hopefully over the, the morning and afternoon, we've started to present a biblical picture of the right use of our sexuality. Uh, yet we've alluded to the wrong use. So we've seen that because sex is for marriage, and marriage is for, uh, designed, in, sorry, so sex is for marriage, in that it was designed for the building up of a marriage, so any use outside of that doesn't achieve the purpose for which God was crea- created it. So any use of sex outside of marriage is wrong. It's sinful. The marriage is meant to be a uniting of the man and the woman. It's meant to be ongoing, to be faithful. The relationship should be a thing that sticks together. It shouldn't be separated. That public, faithful sexual union is a picture of Christ in the church. So any use outside of that tells lies about God. So when our world says that a committed public union is not required for sex, that sex can be casual, that sex can be just for our visual titillation, it lies about God. But we need to take a step back and think, why do we misuse our sexuality in that way? And why are we drawn so strongly to misuse our sexuality? In order to start seeing this, turn with me to Romans uh, 1. Um, the ver- the, this is the chapter we looked at before uh, Christmas and the evening services. Um, so a long time ago, but some of you may remember uh, some of the things which we saw there. Uh, let me read from uh, verse um, 18 of chapter 1 of Romans. The wrath of God is being revealed against heaven, against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires to their, of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, Evil, greed and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters. Insolent, arrogant and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, 
but also approve of those who practice them. They're quite sobering uh, words, description of the world. And did you notice at the beginning of the verses, we're told that people instinctively know God. What can be known about God is abundantly clear to people. Yet people everywhere reject that knowledge. They exchange the knowledge for something else. We're not told when people reject this, but instinctively people all reject the truth. And we see that all the way through the passage. So look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Or, or verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. Or verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over. You see, people didn't want to know God. They reject the truth about God. And that happened all the way back at Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve first reject God. They disregard the knowledge that came from God. And as people reject God... There's a judgment now, there's a judgment to come in the future, but there's a judgment now. Three times in this passage you see the phrase, and God gave them over. People reject the truth, and God gave them over. You see in verse 24, therefore God gave them over. And what did God give them over to? The sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Or look at verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. The third one comes at the end where God gives them over and enlists a whole range of different things. But you see, the first two are specifically linked to sexual gratification, sexual impurity. You see, when we reject the truth about God, God gives us over to sexual sins. When people sin, God doesn't just zap them there and then. But he gives them over now. He gives them over to a mind that can't live well. As we seek to become the master that we are given over to things which enslave us. The things that we want. Sex promises much. The pleasure, release, satisfaction, fruitfulness, life, escape from frustration. However, when we're given over to that, it doesn't achieve its promises. It's fraudulent. It seeks to be in the place of God. It's an idol. And all of this comes from the suppression of the truth about God. When people suppress the knowledge of God, these things follow. And so you see the point. We reject the knowledge of God and so follow sexual sin. And the fundamental rejection of God means our thinking is changed and we're given over to gratifying the desires of our hearts. You see, there's a deep connection then between our sexual sin and knowing God. Just to kind of push this point home, in groups, have you got the, the next, this thing has not got them here. Oh, um, let me see if I can find the verses. There's a sheet missing somehow. 
which I hadn't realised it was missing. Um, if you look at um, Ephesians, turn to Ephesians. Yeah, okay, the Ephesians 4 and verse 17. See what it says here. So see the see the connection that there is here between knowing God and then sexual sin. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, so that you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Can you see the connection again that we're talking about? This connection between they give up this knowledge of God, they've got this futility of thinking, their darkened understanding, and they have then this connection between sexual sin. Can you see that there? Uh, you see the same thing in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 4. In so 1 Thessalonians, Paul is wanting them to be uh, sanctified, to live a holy life. And he says, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, It's God's will that you should be sanctified. Uh, and what that means is that you should avoid sexual immorality... That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honourable. And then listen to verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. You see the same connection. They do not know God. And so they act in the ways that they do. Or 1 Peter in chapter 1. You see the same kind of point being made. Again, Peter here is wanting... Uh, the believers to, to see that they need to live holy lives, lives like God. And so 1 Peter uh, 1 um, in verse 14, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. You see the this, this sense there of the evil desires they had when they were ignorant, when they didn't know God. You see, all the way through the New Testament, there is a real connection between not knowing God and therefore living out in sexual sin. You see, and so if it is the case that there's a link between our suppression of the knowledge of God and sexual sin, then the way to battle against that is going to be through deepening it in our knowledge of God. And finding that all the delights and the desires which we, uh, we seek are found in him alone. You see, we defeat sexual sin through growing in the knowledge of God. The true knowledge of Christ will prevent misuses of our sexuality. Do you remember what Romans 12 uh, says? Uh, Romans 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the... You notice what it says? The renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. You see the thing? So we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by getting to know God better. 
Knowledge is going to be the way in which we are transformed, knowing God better. You see, if we can do that, if we can be seeking that and going after that, that's the thing which will help us not to fall into sexual sin. It can seem so simple, in some ways so impractical, and yet it is one of the most practical things that we can be doing. There's lots of things you might have come up with, and we came up with in our group, kind of do's and don'ts, things to kind of put accountability software on your computer. If you're going out with somebody to have kind of the practical advice of what you should do so you don't fall into sin, or keeping the bedroom door open, and going out in groups, and all those kind of things. Really good things to do. And yet those practical kind of strategies are never going to deal with the root of our sexual sin which comes through our, un, uh, our rejection of something about God and the knowledge of God. And so we need to get it into our minds that it's getting to know God better, which is going to be the primary means of fighting against sexual sin. That's how John Piper puts it. I love, I love this little quote uh, which he says. He says, There are many practical strategies for being sexually pure in mind and body. I don't demean them, I use them. But with all my heart I know... And with the authority of scripture I know that the tiny spaceships of our moral strategies will be useless in nudging the planet of our sexuality into orbit unless the sun of our solar system is the supremacy of Christ. I think that's a great quote. The true knowledge of of God in Christ serves to prevent the misuses of our sexuality. Knowledge which goes beyond just knowing Bible stories. But knowledge which transforms our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The God who is seen so clearly in the Lord Jesus. Knowing this Jesus who came so that he could make God known to us. And so that we could be known by God. And we could know God. To know the wonderful truth that we are his. His people that he has redeemed Redeemed so that we might live for him in the world. And knowing how great he is in an ever increasing depth and an ever increasing joy. That true knowledge of Christ will serve to prevent the misuses of our sexuality. It's the way in which we can win the battle um, against sexual sin. Uh, Let me show you just how some of that kind of works from Colossians. Uh, Colossians is one of the New Testament books that I think I know best and so... Um, I keep uh, turning back to it because it's great. Look, uh, Paul writes to Colossians, he writes to people who uh, were, as it says in verse 21, alienated from God and enemies in their mind because of their evil behaviour. Or who you'll see a bit later in the book, were dead in their sins and the uncircumcision of their hearts. But these uh, Colossians had become Christians. These dead and lifeless uh, Colossians became Christians when the gospel came to them. Uh, made alive when they heard the gospel as Epaphras uh, came and taught it to them. And so Paul gives thanks to them. You see that in verse, in verse uh, 3. We always thank the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. The faith and love that springs from the hope which is stored up for you in heaven and which you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. 
It's a wonderful description of how the gospel came to this uh, people. And you see the power of that gospel word. Dead, lifeless Colossians are now bearing fruit because the gospel came. Now when we read the Bible with people, we can sometimes think it's weak and foolish. But the power of the Bible is immense because it's God's words. The words of God which brought the universe into being. As we read the words of God, they have great power. And Paul then praises God, praises God for them becoming Christians and prays that they would continue. See what he says in verse 9. And for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. Asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul prays that these Colossians would know him better, know him more and more. And the reason is quite astounding in verse 10. You see what he says? And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Now Paul wants them to be pleasing God. You ever thought that you can be pleasing God? It's a great thing really, isn't it? Pleasing God in every way. And that will be seen in four um, ways. First, in bearing fruit in every good work. Verse 10 now. Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Paul prays that they be filled with the knowledge of God so that they may live lives which are worthy, which will mean they're bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, etc., etc. That's what Paul strove for in his ministry. And so in verse 28, you see, he says, We proclaim him, Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And to this end, I labor and struggle with all his energy which works so powerfully in me. And Paul struggles on that in chapter 2. He says in verse 2 of chapter 2, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then in chapter 2 he goes on to say that he wants them therefore to continue in the gospel Verse 6 of chapter 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, he wants them to continue in the gospel, putting roots down into the gospel and growing up from the soil of the gospel, so that the gospel is the thing which they are knowing and which shapes how they live. You see, so as we come to think about how to change how to live sexually pure lives as students. It's the power of this knowledge of God which will change us. Let's give ourselves to that. Because the knowledge of God has the power to align the planet of our sexuality, as Piper would say. Growing the knowledge of God. And you see then how that has practical implications when you look at chapter 3. Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Set your hearts on things above, the way to desire the revolution of the Lord Jesus to continue and to envelop every part of our lives. 
to be consumed by the worth of Jesus, to be consumed by the values of heaven, the power to reign in the tentacles of our sexuality is in Christ. Set our hearts and our desires there, and it is also to set our minds on things above. Our minds, what we think about. We have to consider them, we have to use our intellect to be cultivating a deep, cultivating a deep understanding of them and love for those things. And therefore we can put to death what belongs to the earthly nature as we do that. See that verse 5 of chapter 3? Put to death what belongs to the earthly nature, sexual impurity and sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and greed which is idolatry. Now, I think when you read those, that list, you could trace them down almost like roots of a tree. Sexual immorality at the top, but underneath that is impurity, and below that is lust, and below that is evil desires, and it all comes from this greed at the base. You see, idolatry is placing something before God, a failure to understand who God is and what God wants. So we may make idols of relationships, thinking that's going to be the thing to satisfy And we combat that through the power of the gospel. Realising that in Christ we have all that we need for life which is fulfilled. Now let me read you this from a a little book which I've uh, got. Which kind of fills out on some of these things. You see it's very easy for big obvious things. um, Having an affair, surfing the internet for pornography. To conceal... The deeper sins that fuel your struggle with pornography. This struck me forcefully when I got to know Tom, a single Christian man in his late 30s, who had been struggling with porn and masturbation since he was a teenager. He had tried all the right things, accountability, memorising scripture passages, exercise, cold showers, prayer and involvement in ministry, but he still struggled and he came to me for help. When I asked him to keep a record of when he was tempted, he said to me, I already know when. It's on Friday night. It's my temper tantrum with God. At first glance it seemed a big struggle with his sexual addiction. But he was talking about anger with God. Where was that coming from? He said, I'm tired and lonely on Friday nights. I think about my single friends on dates and my married friends with their wives. And I feel sorry for myself. I get angry with God because I think he owes me a wife and I don't have one. By nine o'clock, the temptation to sexual sin is overwhelming and I give in. You see the way in which the knowledge of God will actually reveal what the deeper sins are. And how our deeper sins actually can fuel what comes out on top. And what's required is to understand God better. For Tom in that story, he needed to see how God, far from abandoning him... Loved him so much. The God in Christ raised Christ up to heaven. And setting our hearts on him there. Will be the thing which allows us to put our sexual temptations in place. You see we're not going to finish today by giving you some quick fix. To kind of deal with sexual temptation. But it's the Bible's answer to sin in general. And sexual sin in particular. It's our knowledge of God that we gain through living the Christian life. You see, it's not something which stops, does it? It's not going to be something you master. But something which you need to give yourself to keep going with. 
See, we have everything we need in Christ, but we have to strive to see that power at work in us. Let me finish by reading these words from 2 Peter 1, verse 3. Great words. Peter here says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. You see what God's given us? His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. How? Through our knowledge of him. So you need to give yourself to the growing in the knowledge of God. Not something which is impractical, but something which is immensely practical and which will change and shape every aspect of our life. Well, it'll be good in groups. We're going to sing in a moment, but maybe just in threes, two or threes. Um, just pray now, and then in a couple of minutes we'll come and sing together.